So that brings us to today's discussion point. And believe it or not, we're up to our fifth session dealing with the rapture. And believe it or not, I'm, act I'm not actually going to speak very much at all specifically about the rapture today. I actually want to focus on the tribulation. And um, I think we need a good understanding of that before we move on to, as it were, the rapture proper. Now, most of um, so what, what I'm talking about today is based on Norman Geisler's systematic theology. And uh, you can see there that after Jesus was uh, crucified and uh, resurrected and ascended into heaven, that ushered in the age of the church, the Christian church. And uh, many, including um, most who are members of the Australian Christian churches, believe that there will be a rapture of the saints before the seven-year tribulation period. After that tribulation period, Jesus will return a second time and uh, he will reign for a thousand years. And at the end of that period, there will be the final judgment and then we will enter into that period of eternity where we rule and reign with Christ. So we'll have more to say about that next week as well. Uh, Norman Geisler is a prolific writer, a theologian, very well uh, known. He's well read and well written. And his conclusion in the chapters that he writes about the tribulation and the rapture goes like this. There does seem to be a best explanation of the many possibilities. By this is meant the view which, given all the biblical data, offers the most plausible explanation. It is in this context that we offer a pre-tribulational conclusion to the rapture question. So today I want to focus on the tribulation and uh, we're going to try to describe it in some detail and that will be really good background for our discussion uh, next week and then we'll follow that one up with discussion about some slightly different views on when the rapture occurs. So the tribulation is an utterly unprecedented time in human history and uh, it will be a time of trial and judgment just before Christ returns to earth. Uh, in particular, that trial and judgment will apply to Israel. It is the 70th week, which is uh, written in Daniel chapter 9. Jesus also referred to it in the Mount Olivet Discourse which is recorded mainly in Matthew 24. There's also a bit of it in Matthew 25. And it's described in full detail in Revelation chapters 6 to 18. Now today, we won't actually get to Revelation. We'll just introduce that bit. And that's what I want to talk about next week. It is taking a rather long time, isn't it? But I do hope that this is educational for you, but also that it will encourage you in your Christian walk. So let's have a look and see what it says in the book of Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy 4, verses 23 to 31, there's a number of features of Israel's tribulation that are listed, six to be precise. It will come as tribulation. It will come after a long period of exile. It will be the result of God's wrath against the sin of Israel. It will involve spiritual restoration. It will involve fulfillment of God's covenant with Israel. And it will be in the later days. That is, from the perspective of the writer of Deuteronomy, it's something which is going to happen a long time in the future. 
Let me read from Deuteronomy 4, verses 23 to 31, and I'm using the New Living Translation throughout today. I think this is a good translation for us to use because it's pretty accurate and it uses modern language that isn't too hard for us to understand. So this is Deuteronomy 4, verses 23 to 31 of the New Living Translation. So be careful not to break the covenants the Lord your God has made with you. Do not make idols of any shape or form, for the Lord your God has forbidden this. The Lord your God is a devouring fire. He is a jealous God. In the future, when you have children and grandchildren and have lived in a land a long time, do not corrupt yourselves by making idols of any kind. This is evil in the sight of the Lord your God and will arouse his anger. That's God's wrath talked about in terms of this end time tribulation for Israel. Verse 26, today I call on heaven and earth as witnesses against you. If you break my covenant, you will quickly disappear from the land you are crossing the Jordan to occupy. You will live there only a short time, then you will be utterly destroyed. For the Lord will scatter you among the nations where only a few of you will survive. That is the long period of exile. Verse 28, there in a foreign land you will worship idols made from wood and stone, gods that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But from there you will search again for the Lord your God, and if you search for him with all your heart and soul, you will find him. In the distant future, that is in the later days, when you are suffering all these things, that's the tribulation, you will finally return to the Lord your God and listen to what he tells you. That is, there will be spiritual restoration. And verse 31, For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not abandon you or destroy you or forget the solemn covenant he made with your ancestors. And there we have the fulfilment of the covenant. All six elements of that end time tribulation are referred to in that passage from Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 23 to 31. Let me move on now and talk a little bit about the 70th week in Daniel. It also addresses this tribulation of Israel. And um, what we find here is that there are 69 weeks, and most scholars believe that these refer to the 483 years between Cyrus's decree to rebuild Jerusalem and the crucifixion of Jesus. In fact, you can work it out to the exact number of days according to our calendar when you take into account things like leap years. So it's just over 17,000 days. And that's very, very accurate, that particular prophecy. Now, the last week, many scholars believe, refers to this tribulation period spoken about also in Deuteronomy. Let me read to you from Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 to 47. A period of 70 sets of seven has been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish their rebellion, to put an end to their sin, to atone for their guilt, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to confirm the prophetic vision, and to anoint the most holy place. Now listen and understand. Seven sets of seven plus 62 sets of seven will pass from the time the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem until a ruler, the anointed one, comes. Jerusalem will be rebuilt with streets and strong defences, despite the perilous times. After this period of 62 sets of seven, the anointed one will be killed. That's the crucifixion, of course, appearing 
to have accomplished nothing. And a ruler will arise whose armies will destroy the city and the temple. The end will come with a flood. Some translations use the word like. Uh, like a flood. And war and its miseries are decreed from that time to the very end. The ruler, and this is a reference uh, to the Antichrist, will make a treaty with the people for a period of one set of seven. But after this time, he will put an end to the sacrifices and offerings. And as a climax to all his terrible deeds, he will set up a sacrilegious object that causes desecration until the fate decreed for this defiler is finally poured out on him. So that last week, the 70th week, is a week that looks far, far into the future. And many, many scholars believe that that week is a reference to the seven years of tribulation. Daniel's seventh week in particular is initiated by a treaty. It's characterised by rebuilding of the temple with animal sacrifices and offerings. They will be offered again. Uh, the treaty will be broken after three and a half years and then we see the appearance of the so-called abomination that causes desolation. And uh, what it will actually be, it will be an idol that is set up in the temple and people will be commanded to worship that idol. So we talked a little bit about the ruler. Uh, the ruler is a reference to the Antichrist. What Daniel has to say about the Antichrist is quite interesting. This is what he says. The Antichrist will be a political power referred to in the scripture as he and will abolish the daily sacrifice. That's three and a half years into this period of treaty. He will set up an abomination in the temple that is an idol. He will be resisted by a faithful remnant who will be persecuted because of their stand and he will do as he pleases. The reference to this is in Daniel chapter 11 verses 36 to 39 which I'll read out shortly. Many scholars believe that much of this passage refers to Antiochus IV, a Syrian invader, a ruthless and cruel invader who reigned from 175 to 164 BC. He gave himself the name Epiphanes, which means God made manifest or God revealed. However, some scholars believe that verse 36 in particular refers to the Antichrist during the tribulation period. In any case, Antiochus Epiphanes is a type of the Antichrist because he did many of the things that the Antichrist will do in this tribulation period. Daniel says these things about the Antichrist. Three in particular. He will speak blasphemies against God. He will show no regard for any God except the God of military might. He will divide the land between those who honour him, or I should say among those who honour him. Here we are, Daniel 11, verses 31 through to 39. And this is a reference, we believe, to the Antichrist during the end times tribulation. His army will take over the temple fortress, pollute the sanctuary, put a stop to the daily sacrifices and set up the sacrilegious object that causes desecration. He will flatter and win over those who have violated the covenant, but the people who know their God will be strong and will resist him. Wise leaders will give instruction to many, 
but these teachers will die by fire and sword, or they will be jailed and robbed. During these persecutions, little help will arrive, and many who join them will not be sincere. And some of the wise will fall victim to persecution. In this way, they will be refined and cleansed and made pure until the time of the end, for the appointed time is still to come. The king, this is a reference to the Antichrist, will do as he pleases, exalting himself and claiming to be greater than every god, even blaspheming the God of gods, our God. He will succeed, but only until the time of wrath is completed. For what has been determined will surely take place. He will have no respect for the gods of his ancestors or for the God loved by women or for any other god, for he will boast that he is greater than them all. Instead of these, he will worship the god of fortresses, a god his ancestors never knew, and lavish on him gold, silver, precious stones and expensive gifts. Claiming this foreign god's help, he will attack the strongest fortresses. He will honour those who submit to him, appointing them to positions of authority and dividing the land among them as their reward. There you go. He will speak blasphemies against our God. He will show no regard for any God except the God of military might. That's fortresses. And he will divide the land among those who honour him. Well, there's some references also to the tribulation period in, in um, the book of Jeremiah. Sometimes this is referred to as Jacob's trouble, Jacob being a reference to Israel. So according to Jeremiah chapter 30, verses 3 through to 14, Israel and Judah will endure a time of trouble. Then they will be brought back from captivity, no longer enslaved by other nations. They will be punished for their sins. Then they will dwell peacefully in their own land under King David. And look at how similar this is to what we learned already about what's in the book of Deuteronomy, what's in the prophecy of Daniel. So here we go, Jeremiah 30 verses 3 to 14, again from the New Living Translation. For the time is coming when I will restore the fortunes of my people of Israel and Judah. I will bring them home to this land that I gave to their ancestors, and they will possess it again. I, the Lord, have spoken. This is the message the Lord gave concerning Israel and Judah. This is what the Lord says. I hear cries of fear. There is terror and no peace. Now let me ask you a question. Do men give birth to babies? Then why do they stand there, ashen-faced, hands pressed against their sides like a woman in labour? And by the way, that was pretty common back in those days because women used to squat to deliver babies. In all history, there has, been, there has never been such a time of terror. It will be a time of trouble for my people Israel. Yet in the end they will be saved. For in that day, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will break the yoke from their necks and snap their chains. Foreigners will no longer be their masters, for my people will serve the Lord their God and their king descended from David. The king I will raise up for them. So do not be afraid, Jacob, my servant. Do not be dismayed, Israel, says the Lord. For I will bring you home again from distant lands, and your children will return from their exile. Israel will return to a life of peace and quiet, and no one will terrorise them. For I am with you and will save you, says the Lord. I will completely destroy the nations where I have scattered you, 
but will not completely destroy you. I will discipline you, but with justice. I cannot let you go unpunished. This is what the Lord says. Your injury is incurable, a terrible wound. There is no one to help you or bind up your injury. No medicine can heal you. All your lovers, your allies have left you and do not care about you anymore. I've wounded you cruelly as though I were your enemy. For your sins are many and your guilt is great. But the wonderful point here, according to the prophet Jeremiah, is that although Israel will be punished for their sins during this period of tribulation, they will ultimately dwell peacefully in their own land under someone like King David. That's the promise to Israel. I want to turn now to the New Testament because Jesus also had something to say about this period of tribulation. And uh, he delivered this address actually in response to a question. And uh, he was asked what the future would look like. And because this happened on the Mount of Olives, this is often referred to as the Olivet Discourse. And I must admit, I often um, inadvertently call this the Olivetti Discourse. Olivetti being a fairly well-known brand of typewriters back in the day when we had typewriters. And I actually learnt to touch type on a mechanical typewriter when I was a teenager in, in high school. So there are seven elements that Jesus refers to in relation to uh, the tribulation, uh, or I should say to the end times. And uh, I'm going to read it out. It's a fairly long scripture, yes, but that's okay. I'll read as fast as I can, again using the New Living Translation. Uh, Jesus notes that there will be forced messiahs, wars, famines, pestilence and earthquakes. There would be many martyrs. There would be cosmic disturbances. And then that would be followed by the inauguration of the second coming. And probably these things will happen sequentially, not necessarily all at the same time, although there may be some overlap. So here we go, Matthew 24. As Jesus was leaving the temple grounds, his disciples pointed out to him the various temple buildings. But he responded, do you see all these buildings? I tell you the truth, they will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. Later, Jesus sat on top of the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us, when will all this happen? What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? Jesus told them, Don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many, and you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world, but all this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. Then you will be arrested, persecuted and killed. You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers and many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved and the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it and then the end will come. 
The day is coming when you will see what Daniel the prophet spoke about, the sacrilegious object that causes desecration standing in the holy place. And it says in parentheses here, reader, pay attention. Then those in Judea must flee to the hills. A person out on the deck of a roof must not go down into the house to pack. A person out in the field must not return even to get a coat. How terrible it will be for pregnant women and for nursing mothers in those days. And pray that your flight will not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For there will be greater anguish than at any time since the world began. And it will never be so great again. In fact, unless the time of calamity is shortened, not a single person will survive. But it will be shortened for the sake of God's chosen ones. Then if anyone tells you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, don't believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform great signs and wonders so as to deceive. If possible, even God's chosen ones. See, I have warned you about this ahead of time. So if anyone tells you, look, the Messiah is out in the desert, don't bother to go out and look. Or look, he is hiding here, don't believe it. For as the lightning flashes in the east and shines to the west, so it will be when the Son of Man comes. Just as the gathering of vultures shows there is a carcass nearby, so these signs indicate that the end is near. Immediately after the anguish of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will give no light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then at last the sign that the Son of Man is coming will appear in the heavens, and there will be deep mourning among all the peoples of the earth, and they will see the Son of Man coming out of the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with the mighty blast of a trumpet, and they will gather his chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest ends of the earth and heaven. Well, we'll probably have a little bit more to say about this uh, next week as well. But it's it's a good thing for us to remember that this tribulation is something that applies to Israel and to those who are living on the earth at the time who have not made Jesus Christ their Lord and Saviour. As I mentioned a few weeks ago, Australian Christian Church Churches subscribe to the idea of what we call um, pre-millennialism, uh, which means that Jesus will come back and he will reign during that period of time and that it hasn't started yet. Uh, we also believe in the doctrine of imminence and that implies that those who are Christians at the time will actually be taken out by means of rapture before the period of tribulation begins. And uh, as I mentioned a little earlier, in Revelation 6 through to 18, there's uh, much more detail about this period of uh, tribulation. We've actually addressed some of it already. We've talked about the seven seals on the book. We've talked about the seven trumpets. And just before Christmas, I believe it was, we got up to the point where we were to deal with the seven bowl judgments. And uh, we will look at this in more detail next week. And uh, the final battle that's often referred to in biblical prophecy is the so-called Battle of Armageddon. Uh, that will be the battle when uh, Israel is surrounded by enemies and they will try to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. Ultimately, God will intervene and ever after that, peace will reign in Jerusalem and those who have given their hearts to Jesus Christ will rule and reign with him, with us as well, for the whole of eternity. Um, interestingly, uh, the Battle of Armageddon is believed, and certainly there's biblical evidence of this, will happen in the Megiddo area. And um, that uh, is an area um, near the Carmel or Manasseh Mountains. 
And uh, historically, it was a boundary between the kingdoms of the south, primarily Egypt, and the kingdoms of the north, a Mesopotamian kingdoms such as Assyria, Babylon, and Akkadian. Uh, this friction line was always a centre of great battles. So throughout the history of, of Israel, this has been a place where great battles have been uh, recorded. The first that we know about historically was 1,468 years before the birth of Christ. Prophet Zechariah placed the future decisive battleground near Megiddo as well. In Zechariah chapter 12, verses 9 to 11, we read this, And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come up against Jerusalem. In that day there shall be a great mourning in Jerusalem as the mourning of Hadramon in the valley of Megiddo, which is Megiddo. Unfortunately, we'll have to wait until next week to discuss this in more detail. 